Toronto. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Earlier, we were discussing uh, the COVID stuff, and somebody asked about the monoclonal, I think it was Jerry, asked about the monoclonal antibody treatments, and I said, I do remember seeing something about Roy Cooper, something, something, and here it is. This is actually a uh, press release that came down last night at like 5.13 p.m., roughly. Um, Today... Governor Roy Cooper signed an executive order to make it easier for North Carolinians to access treatment for COVID-19. The executive is kind of odd. 513 on a Thursday evening before Labor Day. We get a press release that, oh, hey, um, yeah, we're going to do some treatments for COVID-19 that I've been like locking you guys down on and putting people out of business and issuing all of these mandates, getting sued for like everything. Yeah, we might have some treatment. He uh, authorized in this executive order, he authorizes and directs the state health director, Dr. Betsy Tilson, to issue a statewide standing order to expand access to monoclonal antibody treatments, (laughs) which is all right, everybody, you guys are doing these monoclonal antibody treatments. Just just keep doing that. (laughs) Could you do more? Can you do more of this stuff? Reminds me of a Simpsons episode where Homer was put in charge of some IT department at Scorpio's secret hideout. And he asked them to just work harder, and then they did. And he was excelling in the job, but his, his family wasn't happy with the new job. Anyway, um, well, then he made, yes, he did feel bad that he made the guys work harder. So then he said, how about let's get some hammocks and they can work from their hammocks. And Scorpio thought that was, he didn't realize, see, this was the joke that that Homer did not realize that the guy he went to work for, Scorpio, was like this evil villain guy trying to blow up the world. He was completely oblivious. So there was like this whole James Bond kind of side story going. Anyway, I'm down the rabbit hole. All righty. So uh, Dr. Betsy Tilson is going to issue a statewide standing order to expand access to monoclonal antibody treatments, which if taken early on, can decrease the risk of severe disease, hospitalization, and death. Now, the order is only going to be in effect through November 30th, so let's hope everybody gets up and running by then. The governor has previously directed and affirmed the state health director's authority to direct the issuance of statewide standing orders to facilitate vaccination and testing efforts. The North Carolina DHHS um, reports that while they have seen an increase in the number of providers who are administering monoclonal antibody treatment, there is still limited capacity to administer the medication among the state's primary care providers and and, uh, providers not associated with the health system. A statewide standing order for the treatment will make it easier for people with COVID-19 symptoms to get treatment. So says the governor under the order treatment could be provided in a medical supervised community setting like part of these COVID-19 testing sites. So I will say again, like, I'm all for it. When the governor rolled out the mass testing sites, right, he did one here in Charlotte at the time I was still in Asheville, and they did one in, although that might have been a federal one, but they had a big one at Greensboro, I want to say, right? Up in Greensboro, they did one. Um, I'm for whatever works. And I am, I support reasonable efforts to try new things like reasonable ideas 
And if it's a crazy sounding idea, I can still be persuaded, but you got to, you know, come with some evidence. Again, like during this last year and a half, I have consistently tried, I'm not saying I always succeed, I am human after all, but I've consistently, I think, tried to keep an open mind about uh, various ways that we're trying to address the pandemic. And at first, when they said, lock everything down, flatten the curve, I was like, okay, we're about to be overrun with this stuff. Yes, we need to make sure we've got enough hospital beds, all of that. I was on board. And then we saw what happened, and then we've got the postmortem on the uh, on the lockdowns, and I don't think we should ever do that again. That was a terrible idea. Lasted way too long. The 15 days turned into, like, 15 months, you know? Had to be all these lawsuits and everything, and, and no, yeah, so... Like, I understand some of these ideas, why they came about, but once we find that, and and here's the, here's the tell, by the way, that Governor Cooper knows that the lockdowns uh, were not effective. He hasn't done them again. He keeps saying, oh, I might totally do it. All options on the table, but he's not going to do it again. He would have done it again already. We've got worse case counts right now than we did back then. Right. So. Why won't he do it now? It's because he knows they won't. He knows they don't work. It's the only. But he can't say. Here's the thing: they can't say it doesn't work. When people in leadership positions, when they tell us we're going to try this thing, and then that thing doesn't work, they never want to say, "Okay, that didn't work," because they don't want to get tagged with the, you know, "Oh, you tried this and it didn't work. You stink." But I think honestly, if he had come out and just said, "Look, we tried the lockdowns. I don't think that they really worked much." So, and they did a lot of damage, a lot of harm, like the school closing, same thing. Like we're, we're sending kids to school right now and they're basically under the same circumstances that we were last year, right? So if anything, it's worse because it's more contagious. Woo! So wouldn't it be even worse for the kids? But he won't do it again. Why? Because it was a mistake last time. But he doesn't want to say it was a mistake because he doesn't want to get criticized for doing something wrong. And honestly, I would actually have... I'd have more respect. I would not criticize him. I would agree with him. Yeah, it was the bad call. But, like, here's the thing. You got a bunch of bad decisions. You got bad options. A bunch of bad options, and you're trying to pick the least bad option. Right? Just because that's all you have doesn't mean that it's not going to hurt. Like, you got, yeah, you're going you're gonna to have to pick among these bad choices. And once you pick one of the choices, it doesn't become a good choice. Right? It doesn't, like... It's still going to be painful. There's still going to be things that are going to really, really stink about that choice. But it's the best choice you could have made among your options. And so when somebody goes down that path, I'm not going to beat them up for that. I'm not going to scream and, oh, well, maybe a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. But how could you? They're just trying to make the best decision with limited information that they have. The key is to recognize you've made the mistake and then change course. And acknowledge that that wasn't the right course to take, rather than use it as a threat in perpetuity, as Governor Cooper has been doing. Right Now, if you need to change course because you've made a bad decision about the route you're taking to wherever it is you're going, listen up. Boomer Von Cannon's got this traffic report. He can steer you in the right direction, maybe. Hey. Here's an email I got from Joseph to Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Dear Pete, does Roy Cooper even have any power outside of the blue counties? 
In Gaston County, the commissioners and sheriff told Roy that they weren't going to enforce his COVID kabuki around June of last year when riots were allowed in major cities despite normal people being under house arrest for two months. 32,000 cases, 481 deaths later. The pandemic looks like it does everywhere else since lockdowns don't work and masks barely work. The lesson, be ungovernable. Um, so I, it, this actually uh, is related to a story that I heard Mark Garrison doing there during the uh, newscast at the top of the hour about the big uh, the football games going on and how they're very, very concerned about this being a super spreader event. And, I mean, I know I was talking about the monoclonal antibodies and all of that, but I've got a better way to actually, you know, keep everybody safe is just hear me out. I'm just spitballing here. And as I always say, there are no bad ideas under the cone of creativity here. But how about you hand out Black Lives Matter placards to all of the people on the way in? Yeah. And you trick COVID because we all know COVID knows COVID's very smart. So COVID knows if your protest or your gathering rather is righteous, right? If your gathering is righteous, it shall not smite you. And uh, that's why they were totally allowed to gather and protest in the Black Lives Matter. And they were allowed to riot and loot and all of that. No COVID anywhere to be seen there. COVID doesn't smite the righteous gatherings. Now, apparently COVID does smite the people who showed up in Raleigh for the anti-mask stuff. They were there. They were like, you know, we don't want to be locked down, reopen North Carolina. And we were told super spreader, super spreader, because COVID communicates, I guess, directly to the media and uh, Democrats, but I repeat myself. So uh, I don't know. It's like an unnamed source, right? Maybe they've got like back channels to COVID. And so COVID is telling them, not a righteous gathering, going to smite a bunch of people out of there. So maybe if you hand out placards at the football games, you, you right. Well, I mean, some people would be there to, you know, actually, they, they believe in the BLM stuff. And they were like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm here for the cause. And so that might, it, it will help sell it. So it's not just a total, you know, ruse. Because I do acknowledge, like, part of this is a ruse. There's going to be some people that are going to be kind of tricking COVID here into thinking it's actually a righteous gathering when it might not be. I'm just throwing it out there. Just an idea. You can use it or not. Totally up to you. Um, Let's see here. Oh, yeah, this is interesting. They're already talking boosters. I mentioned earlier that Israel is uh, now going to consider you unvaccinated if you have two vaccinations. (laughs) So you will be unvaccinated if you don't get the booster. However, there's a website called endpoints.com, and they broke the news that two of the FDA's most senior vaccine leaders are leaving, leaving their positions, raising fresh questions about the Biden administration in the way that it has sidelined the FDA. (gasps) No, I was told that the left is very, very, very concerned and very uh, in tune. And they're watching like hawks for any kind of politicization of the science and data. Right. Because when Donald Trump was president, they were like, Donald Trump is trying to 
said health policy and he's not listening to the experts and blah, 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 blah. Now, like, this is another example. Like, Biden is the guy and does the things that they said Trump was and did, right? They're guilty of that which they accuse you of. And Marion Gruber is one of the people who's left, and Phil Krause is the other person who has left. And the news was first reported by another entity actually called BioCentury. They say it's a massive blow to confidence in the agency's ability to regulate vaccines. Okay? Gruber is the director of the FDA's Office of Vaccines Research and Review, 32-year veteran of the agency, will leave at the end of October, and the Office of Vaccines Research and Review director, Phil Krause. So they both came out of the same department. He's been there more than a decade. He's leaving about the same time in November. The bombshell announcement comes at a particularly crucial moment as boosters and children's shots are being weighed by the regulator. The departures also come as the administration has recently jumped ahead of the FDA's reviews of booster shots, announcing that they might be available by the week of September 20th. A former senior FDA leader told Endpoints that they're departing because they are frustrated that the CDC and their committee, their ACIP committee, um, that they are involved in decisions that they think should be up to the FDA. So the so think about this. You've got the FDA's Office of Vaccines Research and Review. They're hacked off at the CDC because they're getting sidelined through the FDA approval process. The former FDA also said that he has heard that these two are upset with the director, uh, Peter Marks, for not insisting that those decisions be kept inside the FDA. What finally did it for them was the White House getting ahead of the FDA on the booster shot. So basically dictating health policy, not the experts, which is exactly what they accused Trump of doing. Like, on, like honestly, I'm not sure, like, why, why would I, uh, why would I trust you guys to, to do the booster stuff now? You got the White House pushing the FDA out of the way. I was pretty disturbed to find out that they canceled the Mallard Creek barbecue. Uh, apparently, again, COVID stinks. Um, it stinks. It's from the critic, John Lovitz. Mallard Creek Presbyterian Church canceling the 91st annual barbecue. It is terrible. I mean, I guess they know what they're doing, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was just disappointed. I was looking forward to going to that. I haven't been to one of the Mallard Creek barbecues in years. I was looking forward to going back there, pressing the flesh, you know. Um, it's always a lot of fun. But um, what is up with this? I just, Garrison, see, this is, I do show prep, and then Garrison does these newscasts, and he says these stories, and it's like, are people insane? Yes. Okay, let me answer my own question. I apologize. Yes. People are insane. This is why, you know what I call these people? I don't call them Karens. I don't like the term Karen. I don't like, you know, people are like, oh, they're ratting out everybody. There are 139 complaints already on the rat line. 
right? There's probably more people ratting out businesses than people actually like helping cops solve the shootouts, right? So you got 139 complaints already for these restaurants and gyms and wherever else. Uh, People, they're not masking up. They're not enforcing the mask mandate. You need to go and enforce the mask mandate. And so now you got the COVID ambassadors. They're going to arrive on the scene. COVID ambassador. Did they have sashes? This is always it's always a big deal for me. If you're going to start naming ambassadors, they need sashes to ident- so you, they can identify. Not like the little lanyards. I want a big old like Miss America kind of sash that goes right across the chest. And it's like COVID ambassador. It's like one giant mask. <laughs> Yeah, or that'd even be even better, like a like a sash of masks or something, like <laughs> it's a like big. Wo- it's sash. like woven together. Yeah, or like one that's like a, it's just like a really large mask, but it's a sash. You just wear that thing all the way around. You would take like one ear loop would go over one shoulder, the other ear loop could attach to like your belt on the other side, and it would be like this big blue paper looking sash, and it would say COVID ambassador, and I bet nobody would go near you. Nobody would go near you because you got to keep six feet. I wonder also, does the ambassador also bust people for not doing the six feet of distance? How does how do they know? Do they walk around? This that, is another that, thing. That, Here's that, another so that, idea under the cone of creativity. You got to have like a six foot stick sticking out in each direction, like four of them. So this way you always know six feet of distance between everybody so i was gonna say the sash is actually six feet so like he'll ask you to hold one end of it yeah yeah and like yeah. he just starts backing up the other way to make better sure that, that that sash is six feet that's a better idea now i'm not saying mine was a bad idea because no bad ideas under the cone of creativity but i will say that is a better i'm copying good idea that. that's a better good idea today's my last day as your producer pete i'm gonna make a lot of money off that off of gonna... the covid sash <laughs> the covid ambassador sash um do you have to be a political contributor to a campaign to get the ambassadorship? Is it like the federal level? Like you need to know somebody or you need to give like thousands of dollars to some county commissioner or something. And then you get to be an ambassador. Are these like the violence interrupters? They actually might need violence interrupters with them. I'm thinking that might be a good idea. I'm thinking if you're going to stroll on into a bar at like 2 AM and start like, Hounding people about masks. You got to have a posse. You might need a violence interrupter with you for that kind of operation. You're not doing that by yourself. So I don't like the term Karen. I think it's a racist term. I do. I think it's a racist term. And you can't say otherwise because I'm white and the Karens are white. And so I think that's a, it's a racist, sexist term. And I don't think people should use it. I would. Here's my recommendation. Again, just an idea. Take it out, walk it around, see how you feel with it, see how it fits, right? But I think it can work because it's unisex. It works for everybody. And it actually has ties to a historically relevant figure that did this very kind of thing. You ready? Gruber. (laughs) It also sounds funny, right? I'm not insulting people who just happen to have the name Gruber. It's not my intention here. But Gruber, do you know who Gruber was? Gruber was the last name, not Hans, not the guy from Die Hard, although that's kind of comical as well. But um, the dude that was the boyfriend of Liesl, I think was her name, Yep. in, you don't know the name of the movie? No. 
Sound of Music. That's right. And he was the kid who turned Nazi. His last name is Gruber. And he was the one that the Admiral Dad or whatever had them all. They were all making the getaway. He had the guy, what was his name? Rolf Gruber. That was the kid's name, Rolf. And what did the dad do? He ended up insulting him at the very end, right? He got the gun from the kid, and then he insulted him. And what did the kid do? He blew his little whistle, and he alerted all the Nazi government officials that here they are. They're breaking the rules. Here they are. Come get them so they can be shipped off to die, right? Gruber. It works for females and males. It captures the essence of what the person is doing. What are these 139 complaints? Like, what are you doing? Here's here's an idea. You go into a gym or something, and they're like, oh, my God, I see somebody. He's not masked up, and uh, I want you to enforce the mask mandate. Here's an idea. Go someplace else. Why is this so difficult? Go someplace else. Well, I shouldn't have to go someplace else. Neither should that other person. By the way, what kind of mask are you wearing? A cloth mask? What kind of ventilation they got going? Are you going to start ratting people out for not having good ventilation? No, because that's not recommended. You see, we don't have a ventilation mandate, which would actually be more beneficial. It's the science. 139 Grubers. Although, you know, you know, that's not 139 Grubers, actually. That's probably like 100 and that's probably like 100. You know that there are people filing multiple complaints. You know there are people that are just bouncing around between all of these different places, ratting people out, trying to get them in trouble. I mean, think about that. Like, what is this establishment that you're going to? What, a, a restaurant or something? You want to go to a restaurant and you see somebody walking around without a mask and they're not getting in trouble. They're not being ejected. They need to get in trouble. And so what do you do? You call the county on your favorite restaurant. So what? So then you can go dine there again? Why would you want to go dine there again? When obviously you would be patronizing some anti-science knuckle-draggers. Why would you want to go there? It's the same thing with the cake-baking exercise. Why would you want a guy who doesn't want to participate in your ceremony to bake you food? Would you eat it? I wouldn't eat it. Like, if this guy's like, you know, I really don't like what you guys are doing there with the whole gay marriage thing, totally against it. So I do not want to bake a cake for your wedding. And you're like, no, you better bake me a cake, bigot. Like, you're going to eat that cake from that guy? You're going to force him to make you food. You want to insult him too, right before, which they did. Like, you want to insult him too? And then you're going to eat something that he makes. That just sounds stupid to me. Like, I wouldn't do it. I, I don't insult my servers at restaurants for the very same reason. Not that servers do ever anything like that. No. They would never do anything to your food. That would just be against the server code. Yeah. One day I'll tell you about the uh, gray car code as well. But right now we're going to hear about traffic <laughs> from Boomer Von Cannon. Have you heard of the gray car code? No, I got to hear this. It is a co- I believe this exists. Uh-huh. There's a code among all owners of uh-huh. gray cars mm-hmm. that when it rains, you do not turn your lights on. Oh, it, hey, I, yes. Gray cars. Do. I don't understand what it is about gray cars. That's why I think it's code. They got to give it. It's got to be something in the owner's manual. I turn that mine tells on. Everybody, that's like you got a gray car. You are prohibited from burning your headlights during rainstorms or within thirty minutes after sunset. Yeah, yeah. You have the hardest vehicle to see. 
you have to make it harder for other people to see. Pete, I see it every night when I leave here. It's ridiculous. Every night. Great car code. Yes. With the sound of music, with songs they have sung for a thousand years. That was not my computer. Not me. The hills fill my heart. That's Julie Andrews. News <laughs> Talk 1110-993-WBT. Um, so I was not aware, and I have not, I have not verified this. I'm assuming Ro- producer Ryan has verified this before he would uh, say such a thing. But I guess this is one of those things in the movies that don't line. I don't know what they're called, but like they like mess ups in movies, like leaving the Starbucks cup uh, at, in the Game of Thrones <laughs> yep. went, uh, scene. And so this is, I guess, one of those things that doesn't. It's it's a continuity problem, right? right. It's not. A, it's a continuity problem, which is. That the Nazis wanted to recruit the the guy Christopher uh, Plummer's character, which I'm blanking on his name. Right, but he was his rank. You say because this was is a, your brother's favorite movie. Yes, um, and so this is he was a captain. He was a captain in the Austrian. I thought he was a. I thought he was like what's the other name for those guys? Uh, not admiral, commander, Com- or commodore, or commodore. Yeah, not a commodore. Something like so. I think commodore is a is like he's a dancer. It, it, no, commodore. I think you have like multiple ships. Ah. Oh. Okay. I think captain's just one ship, or at least that's the way. Of, or a dancer. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, but anyway, so um, so this com- this captain. Yes. He was being recruited. The Nazis really wanted him to be in their. In their Navy. In their Navy. Yes. Because he was supposedly the the a great captain in the Navy of his home country, which right. was? Austria. Austria, right. Which, which is a landlocked country. How does a landlocked country have a Navy? Because so so Austria Hungary obviously had a navy in, in like World War One and they had access to I guess it's the is it the Baltic what's the one between Italy and the and like Serbia All right I'm an American we are not required to know <laughs> geography it's in right there in the Constitution no geography for Americans so so as I remember at least from all my history classes like Austria's navy was basically disbanded after World War One so he sounds like he knows what he's talking about um, but wait a minute didn't Austria Hungary break up and yeah, maybe Hungary got the water, and so Austria didn't need the navy anymore. Right, but then why? Then why wouldn't they be going after a Hungarian? Maybe captive? they did. Maybe they did. They were just on their way to Hungary, but they stopped off first in Austria, and they're like, they didn't "No, wanna, they didn't want to go that far." Yeah, they're like you used to be in the navy, and then you sorry, you guys got all separated, and you don't have any water. So, like, kind of read the writing on the wall on that one, and. uh Hey, you want to get in, you want to get on a ship again? And but, uh, but again, you're going through a landlocked country. You th- you'd think you would, would want to go after like a tank commander or like a you know a general of a. That's the guy in the next a cavalry. Mansion. He's over on the next mansion. That was <laughs> the, the the next mansion over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that movie did not that bombed. So nobody knows about the tank commander. All right. Um, these are the questions we discussed during the breaks. Just in case you're wondering. Um, have you heard there's a, a fellow named Jeremy Markovich and uh, he's a journalist, a writer, a producer based outside of Greensboro. And uh, he's done some podcasts called Away Message uh, about North Carolina's hard to find people, places and things. And uh, the last season was all about the mountains to see trail. Um, and I interviewed him years ago because he's a freelance writer. He did a, uh, an, an interesting a piece about redistricting and gerrymandering that was um, part of like a, a, a race. They did like a gerrymander run kind of deal. Anyway, uh, nice guy. Uh, he, he's got a newsletter. It's called um, North Carolina Rabbit Hole, the North Carolina Rabbit Hole. 
and uh, it's free. You can sign up, and he, he sends stuff out periodically, and he was in Charlotte. I want to say he used to work over at WCNC. He was over there for a while, and uh, that's, I guess, how he came across this exclusive, but he also has done some work on the Penguin, the drive-in, the Penguin drive-in, and, you know, the sign. So apparently, like, I was unaware. I think I did kind of know this since I was gone, that the Penguin is no longer the Penguin any more it's gone which you know that's it's sad like if you never had the fried pickles at the penguin then well i guess you never had the fried pickles at the penguin but i mean i did um after decades at the corner of thomas and commonwealth avenues in charlotte the penguin drive-in sign is going to be coming down two sources tell me that the sign will be removed soon but won't completely disappear the plan is for one of the plastic panels, because there's two sides of the sign, right? It's a it's a big sign, you know, it's like two sides have the same penguin. Anyway, so they're going to take one panel, and it's going to hang at Midwood Park. And the other is going to go on display at the Charlotte History Museum. Which is... <laughs> Look, I mean, I love the penguin, don't get me wrong, but it's just kind of comical to me. Like, Charlotte has this really bad habit of, like, lionizing and idolizing signs like it was the jfg sign right then there was the whole coffee cup thing i remember i got into some argument with a chick at a bar at which the bar is not there anymore either but like i was arguing with her because she like had come to town in order to fight to preserve the coffee cup because it was and i had like eaten at the coffee cup and i was like well if they got plans to redevelop and they're going to move it someplace else like i'm fine with that and they tore the thing down and i don't think they ever built the project so (laughs) They just—that's like, what happens. Like this is this is kind of a very Charlotte thing, right? That they just knock down things and and the things that they try to save. It's like okay, well, there are no more buildings, but that sign. But the sign—we could just keep the sign. Penguin had been a little restaurant that existed in some form at the corner of Plaza Midwood since 1954. It was a family diner for a very long time. It got run down, then it got revived by two new managers helped lead the way for the revitalization of the neighborhood, and it received a visit from Guy Fieri himself. I think is how he pronounces that. It achieved somewhat of a legendary status before fighting between the managers and the original owners led to a split that ultimately killed the restaurant, which officially closed in 2014. Since then, that space has been occupied by a handful of restaurants that have come and gone and is currently the home of Calle Sol, neighborhood Latin cafe and cevicheria. It's a very long name. Though, uh, through it all, The penguin sign has sort of just stood watch over that corner, sort of a gravestone that reminds folks of the neighborhood that Plaza Midwood used to be. Once new, then grimy, then plucky, then sought after. There's a version of uh, the, there's a new version of the penguin coming from Martin Sprock, the man who once sought to franchise it way back at the peak of its popularity, but it's going to be in Dilworth on East Boulevard. And probably its menu and vibes are going to be different. He owns the copyright to the Penguin's name and logo. He's going to be using both at his new location. And I just saw Sam Spencer with the the historical commission or whatever. He's like, please leave the sign. I used to walk past that sign. I love it. Like, okay, we might have a fight on our hands now over the Penguin sign. No fight here. Brett Winterbull is up next. Stay tuned on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I will see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone.